and Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast. I'm Pippa Room, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. I hope everyone is settling into the new year and not getting too many January blues as we get started on 2022. Our interview this week is with the event rider Lauren Innes, the Pika Amateur Rider of the Year at the 2021 Horse and Hound Awards. Lauren shares her insight on juggling a demanding job with riding at the top level. I get the number of runs in a year that some of the professionals get in a weekend. So having that great support team around you to make every run count as much as it can, I think is really important. I'll be handing our news segment this week over to my colleague Polly Bryan, who'll be joined by a couple of our news team to check in on what's happening in the horse world. Finally, we're kicking off a new advice series with personal trainer Katie Bleakman, who'll talk about getting your exercise programme back on track after the festive break. The best way to think about getting back into your training or exercise routine is thinking about the approach that you take with your horse after he's had a break or a holiday. So the same applies for you. So pull down your stirrups and let's get started. So I'm delighted to introduce today's podcast guest, the event rider Lauren Innes. Lauren won the Picure Amateur Rider of the Year at the 2021 Horse and Hound Awards in partnership with NAF after fantastic results at four-star level last season. Lauren, hello. Welcome to the podcast. Hello. Oh, it's lovely to have you with us. Let's start by talking about your top horse, Global Fish and M, or Flipper, as I think he's known to his friends. You've achieved so many great results with him already. Tell us, how did you first find him and come to ride him? So I'd been looking for at, at least a year and I was struggling to find anything that I really liked that I could afford. Um, but fortunately, I knew the Irish rider, Brian Morrison, through doing the international student riders um, when I was at university. And he was just setting up uh, global event horses at the time uh, with Chris Hunt. And so I went out to Ireland for a couple of days and they showed me 18 or 20 horses and, and Flipper was one of them. And I sat on him and I just couldn't stop smiling. I just knew he was the one for me. So um, just really lucky that I, I had that connection and um, Brian was able to find him for me. Yeah, definitely. I was, student riding is, I think, a great way for, to make good connections. I actually used to ride against Victoria Panners on his student riding. So uh, yeah, <laughs> it's funny. It, it's fantastic. I loved student riding. I made so many friends and internationally and in the UK. Yeah, definitely. What, um, what uni were you at, Lauren? Um, I was at Oxford University. It feels okay. like a very long time ago now, though. <laughs> well, we will find out a little more about your career away from horses a little later. We're getting diverted, but that's fine. We want to find out more about Flipper first. Tell us about what he's like as a sort of character and a horse to, to ride and train and work with. Well, um, he, he's quite a, a split personality. Um, at home, he's he's just a bit of a cool dude. He's really chilled. He's very easy to look after, which is, is really important because my mum you know, she, she's not really interested in leading them in and out of the field when they're standing up and prancing around. So he's really chilled. But when I get on him, it's like you switch on a light. He just comes to life. He's so competitive. He's very intense. Um, he has a lot of opinions about what's going on. And um, I just had to spend the last few years working out how to work with him and his opinions. But that's what makes him so great because he's just so unbelievably brave and um, tries his hardest no matter what he's doing 
Yeah. And in 2019, you rode him at the three-star European Cup in Germany, part of the British squad that brought home the silver. Tell us a little about what it meant to you to sort of ride under the British flag on that on that squad. Oh, it was just, it was a bit like a dream come true. I mean, I'd never done juniors or young rider teams. I hadn't really had the horsepower. And I'd loved, like, I mean, the last time I'd been on any kind of team was back in my pony club days. And just having that camaraderie, going out as a team, being there all together, having all that support from everyone else. And um, obviously riding is such an individual sport most of the time, having that opportunity to be in that team environment and cheer each other on. It was just so special and it was such a fun week. And then last season, you had some brilliant results at four-star long level together with Flipper. And you were 11th in that really tough competition at Bicton in June. I know the cross-country course there was pretty daunting and it was such a talking point all week. What did you think when you first saw it? Well, it was certainly big. Um, It was big and bold. Um, I walked it with a friend first time and, you know, from fence one, there was there was plenty to jump. But having walked it, I walked it and thought there's nothing there that I can't jump. I just have to make sure I get my canter, get my lines. I was fortunate enough that um, my trainer, Mark Corbett, came up and walked it with me and was also there like on the morning when people first started going out cross country to make sure that my plan was right for, for what I needed to do. The week obviously panned out for you pretty well. Tell us about the ride he gave you cross country and and in the other phases as well. So dressage, I was a little disappointed uh, because he got some sweat or something in his ear and started shaking his head a little bit before the flying changes, which obviously dropped a few marks. But I was sitting on 35, which in the field wasn't a bad mark. And I knew given the having walked the cross country that it wasn't going to be a dressage competition. So then when the cross country started and it was causing carnage, I just thought, at least I have an opportunity to move up the leaderboard if I have a good run. And of course, he went out that start box and he just ate it up. I mean, nothing was a problem for him. He he hacked around it and it just gave me the most incredible ride. I just steer him and he just sees flags and jumped between them. So it was just a fabulous fabulous day I was on a high for a long time afterwards yeah I bet you were and then he came out the next day as he always does and it was like he hadn't even run cross country he he pinged around the show jumping so um it was a great way to finish the week yeah and then up at Blair at the end of the year again in the four star long another double jumping clear to finish third in that competition tell us about about that week and what that was like so um, I, I actually chose to go to Blair because um, I'd been thinking of going to Blenheim, but Blair was a bit earlier and I thought I needed another four-star long qualification for five-star. And I thought if anything went wrong, then at least I'd have a backup to go to Blenheim. Um, I'd already done Blenheim um, in 2019, so I was quite keen to get another different run under our belt as well. And with Blair having all the hills, um, it was a fantastic opportunity to get more experience. So we, we, we trekked up there and oh my gosh, it was worth the trip. It was the most beautiful event. Um, we got there, glorious sunshine, fantastically presented courses. And again, Flipper ate it up and I, I had another amazing week. So it was really good. Yeah. And you mentioned getting that five-star qualification. Have you got badminton in your sights now? I do. I do. I mean, having got the qualification at Blair, there was talk about going to Poe, but I felt like he would prefer the less twisty courses. And because he's such a big jumper, I decided that he'd had a good season. He'd done two four-star longs. I'd just save him for next year and um, hopefully get to badminton, all being well. 
Oh, it'd be so exciting to see you at badminton, Lauren, because I think, you know, all of us amateur riders plugging away at 90 sort of have this dream that if we could get that horse of a lifetime, we could uh, get up there to the five-star level. I think I'm too old for that now. But there are people younger than younger than me who still think that. And we said in the intro that you were the winner of the Pika Amateur Rider of the Year title at the Horse and Hand Awards, because, of course, you are an accountant in your non-horsey life. Can you give us a little bit of an insight into how you juggle things sort of day to day to fit in horses and your work? Yeah, so my day always starts at nine in the morning. So I always use the time beforehand to do my horses and get them out of the way if I can, uh, simply because I don't quite know when I'm going to finish at the end of the day. So in the summer, it's great because it gets light really early. In the winter, it's a little bit more tricky. But I have a, uh, a 20 by 40 arena at home with a security light on the end so I can ride in the dark. And I'm luckily able to use a water treadmill, which isn't too far as well. So I try and do that. And now with COVID and less commuting, I have a little bit more time in the morning and I can get off a horse at five to nine and be at my desk at maybe two or three minutes past nine and no one really notices. So it, it's actually been a real benefit uh, that <laughs> COVID happened in a way. Yeah. So do you have no commuting at all now? Are you entirely home-based for your work? We're being encouraged to go back to the office more now, but I don't think we'll ever get back to five days a week. I think it will stay around two or three days a week going forward. And over the last um, couple of years, it's actually I've hardly been in at all. When you did have to commute, how did you how did you manage that? I suppose even earlier mornings? Yes, early, earlier mornings and a little bit more support from my uh, long suffering parents. So um, I would often ride and then they would do the mucking out and bring the horses in in the afternoon because I just wouldn't be back in time. Um, whereas now I'm at home, I can sneak away from my desk and spend half an hour mucking out or bring the horses in when when nobody's looking. Um, so it's, it's quite good. And um, they still help a bit, but I'm able to um, do more of it. Mm. And how many horses do you have? So I have two horses competing and a, a little companion pony, um, a five-year-old and then Flipper. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Well, uh, we won't let on to your employers that you're sneaking off to muck out in the <laughs> afternoons. <laughs> Tell us, Lauren, how you first got into horses and, and eventing. When did you start riding? So um, my parents aren't particularly horsey, although I, my mum got her first riding lesson when she was 30 and her and my dad shared a horse before I was born, which they subsequently sold and I think mum really wanted to live a little bit vicariously through me and got me a pony when I was eight years old and we were completely ignorant she wasn't very suitable but every time I fell off mum would threaten to sell her and I didn't want that so I'd get back on even though I didn't want to um, and went from there and came up through pony club which was fantastic and I, I was fortunate enough to have a really nice 13-2 that got me a bit more competitive. And the horses that I've had since, every, everyone has taught me a little bit more. So um, that's where I, it came from. Mm. And did you ever consider making horses your career or were you always on that sort of academic financial track sort of in terms of your career? So I think when I was younger, I did dream of becoming a professional event rider, um, but I became very aware that it was really hard to get owners and it was really hard to get sponsors and it's a really expensive sport and I was lucky enough to have a good education and my mum was quite keen for me to get a job and have the horses as a competitive hobby and I had to weigh up all the pros and cons and I decided that with the sport being so expensive that I 
would be better off being able to afford to get the training, pay for my physio, pay for vets, pay for nice horses and support it myself rather than going down it from a professional perspective. Um, however, I do sometimes wish that I had more horses to ride and I could get more experience, but it is definitely a trade-off. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, everyone who rides as an amateur at whatever level, sometimes we look at sort of Oliver Townend and uh, he's getting more cross-country runs in a weekend than we get in the year. But that makes your achievement all the more impressive, Lauren, in getting to the level you've got to and having the success that you're having. And it's pretty inspirational, I think, for other amateur riders. Are there any tips that you would give to sort of people people like you who are struggling away in the, in the dark mornings and riding horses before or after work, trying to get to the top level? What would be your advice to other people in a similar position? I've thought about this a lot and it's, it's always difficult and I think everybody has to work hard but the way I, I look at it is when you ride professionally you work really hard the way that I work hard is just slightly different kind of hard work and if you have a horses or a horse or horses that you love getting up for in the dark in the rain it makes it that much easier um, and I think the other thing that has been so important for me is having a great support team not only my parents but my trainers who I've been with for years they they help me they're there at the end of the phone whenever I have any doubts um, and like you say I get the number of runs in a year that some of the professionals get in a weekend so um, having that great support team around you to make every run count as much as it can um, I think is really important yeah, give us a shout out to your trainers, Lauren. You mentioned Mark Corbett oh, earlier. Like my who amazing trainers, um, Mark Corbett, who I've trained with since I was 13. Um, he's at all the big events with me, telling me how to ride and to stop fretting over little things. Um, Richard Barrett, my dressage trainer, who I think I've trained with since I was 15. And also Corin Bracken, Lizzie Murray also helped me. So oh, everyone, it, it's such a team thing, isn't it, eventing? And I can't thank them enough because I wouldn't be here without them. Yeah, definitely. Well, we always say it takes a village. Lauren, it's been lovely to have you on the podcast today. Thank you so much for, for joining and chatting. We will be looking out for you at badminton next season, hopefully. Thank you so much. Hello, I'm Polly Bryan, dressage editor at Horse and Hound. I'm here with you today hosting the new segment on today's episode. It's a bit of a strange time, isn't it? Christmas is behind us. The excitement for New Year is sort of starting to fail a little bit. I'm trying to keep my spirits up and stay motivated, though. I don't have a horse at the moment, so my main sport is running. And I've set myself a rather ambitious new 5K time target to achieve by the end of March. So I've started training for that, and it always helps me to have a concrete goal in place. And of course, there's always plenty going on at Horse and Hound. And today I'm joined by two of our lovely news team. We have news editor Eleanor Jones and senior news writer Lucy Elder. Let's go over to Lucy first. How are you doing, Lucy? How's your week been? Hi, I'm all right. Thank you, Polly. It's always, as you said, a bit of a strange time of year. I always find it quite a hard time of year at the moment. But I really, this weekend, I've just noticed it was light until about half four. And that extra half hour of daylight really makes such a difference into in, what you can fit in in a day and getting outside. So, um, yeah, looking forward to the sort of first hopeful signs of spring. Oh, definitely. I also noticed that it was just a tiny bit lighter for a tiny bit longer um, in the last week. So that is definitely positive. And uh, over to Eleanor. Hi, how are you this week? 
Yeah, well, obviously, great minds think alike, because what I was going to say, and I've got the proof, the, the screenshots from BBC Weather here to prove it, is that it's actually 24 minutes lighter in the evening now than it was on the shortest day. And that is a good thing. Spring is nearly here. <laughs> definitely, definitely. We are at least at the right side of Christmas to welcome spring. So that is definitely positive. <laughs> the first story I wanted to talk about today um, takes us back over to you, Lucy, as it is a story that you've been working on about a government action plan aiming to improve the prevention and treatment of concussion in sports. And this is set to have um, an impact on equestrian sports, isn't it? In which, of course, concussion is, is a hot topic. Yes, Polly, like you said, it's the government's response to a Department for Culture, Media and Sport Select Committee report that was published um, in August 2021. And it is, it is good news as it's a major push for increased research, treatment and prevention of sporting concussions. And like you said, riding's a risk sport, so anything that focuses on that is is going to have an impact on the equestrian world. And the scope of this is huge. Um, it's across sports, across the UK. So it's kind of bringing lots and lots of areas together, lots of sports together and having a real uh, a real drive, if you like, on, um, on this. Pulling out some of the sort of key points, the four key areas that it's tackling are research, education, health and technology. And the headlines really for the equestrian world um, are that sporting concussions they're looking at how these are treated in the nhs um and sort of nhs pathways and that's for every sport and at every level uh, there's also recommendations that a shared set of protocols around concussion in sport are developed and that sports that receive public funding which um, which does include as we know british equestrian um make make use of these and sort of how they see fit if that makes sense so there's lots of I always get quite excited with collaboration in that mm. you know so there's lots of bits and pieces of research out there lots of very good research out there the equestrian world's done a huge amount of it as you said at the start because of of the impact it has so kind of pulling together lots and lots of areas and lots of knowledge and um, technology side the science side the education side and to how we can really look at, at dealing with this and as sort of awareness grows that all grows with it as well i heard from british equestrian as well and uh, and the british horse racing authority and they've both welcomed the report the british equestrian is convening a working group this month and it picked out some of the really interesting areas mentioned in the report that stood out to me as well when i was reading through it and writing about it which is how concussions are dealt with in training and also in 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 young athletes and things as well and those are two sort of areas that are sort of again knowledge is growing and training is such a big part of equestrian mm. sport as we know so I thought that was quite interesting too yeah it really really is interesting I mean does this plan go far enough mm, I think that's interesting as well um especially when you sort of consider what we we're talking about a minute ago about sort of as awareness and understanding grows it kind of I'm not sure there's an end point really you know sort of <laughs> with science and health and research and things like this but what I thought was quite interesting was the uh, brain injury charity Headway their chief executive Peter McCabe while welcoming the response he also called on the government to to increase its scrutiny of governing bodies and act on its ability to hold organizations to account um, okay. if meaningful change doesn't happen immediately so 
yeah, I think I think it's it's a massive it is a massive deal. It's it's huge it impacts it's gonna impact a lot of people in a lot of ways mm. and riders sort of both directly and indirectly and uh yeah, but it's interesting to see that they're saying, you know, yeah, the question of whether it goes far enough or or, or not. So yeah, yeah. I, I'll look forward to seeing what, what comes out of it in, in sort of coming months and coming years. Absolutely. And it's certainly a a really important step in the right direction. So let's hope that uh, this drive can can really help to sort of make those changes needed. Coming back over to you now, Eleanor, um, I wanted to talk about an interesting story that you have written this week about some new laws that have been passed in France, not the UK, I should add, uh, regarding riders there having to obtain knowledge certificates before they can legally own a horse. Is that right? Yeah, really interesting and caused a lot of interest over here. Um, they, the, the French government says it's uh, an attempt to combat animal abuse and strengthen the link between animals and humans. So three new laws affecting horse owners, one of which being that you have to get this knowledge certificate to own a horse. And um, it's part online on the French Equestrian Federation website. And also you have to do a practical assessment. And if you're selling a horse, you have to make sure that the buyer has this certificate before you sell. Okay, and and of course these certificates were they're actually brought in a couple of years ago by the French Equestrian Federation, weren't they? But it's only now they've become law. Yeah, so they've been working. They the, the French Federation told us that they have been um, working with the French government and MPs for years to try to bring this in, and they've been campaigning uh, for this for these certificates to be necessary. And they say the passing of the law is a, is a huge achievement. And they told us a really nice quote, which was, "Horses have got a major role to play in society, and it's our duty to protect them and ensure they're treated with all due respect." And you mentioned that there there are a couple of other areas that the new laws cover. It's not just these knowledge certificates. There's a couple of other aspects to it, isn't there? Yeah, so one of the other laws is that it's now mandatory to register if your horse has had a neurectomy or a denerving, which um, sometimes happens with horses that have navicular, for example. And the other one is that if a horse's livery is unpaid, the yard owners may, I mean, obviously there's a long process to go through, but the yard owners may sell that horse. Uh, You're right. Gosh, and how likely is it that we could, you know, potentially see something like this coming under consideration in the UK at some point? Uh, not, not very at the moment. <laughs> okay. um, I did. People I did might ask... be relieved to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I asked Defra, and they they said, you know, it's already an offence under the Animal Welfare Act to cause suffering, and and that they have. Uh, got this an action plan for animal welfare which we've reported on before and there are mm. a range of initiatives in that to raise standards is what defra said but, okay. um, but also uh, we spoke to world horse welfare and, and the chief executive roly owers made the point that well two two very interesting points one that of course any effect any legislation's effectiveness is down to how well it's enforced just like our legislation here and also he pointed out that the French equestrian industry is is very different to ours it's more centralized it gets Mm. significant state support so it it might not be something that could work here right okay definitely very interesting hearing his his thoughts on that and and it's really interesting to look at how other countries are sort of seeking to protect equine welfare I'm sure that we will be keeping a close eye on how things progress and and how riders are, are reacting to the new laws in France as well Eleanor and Lucy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today to talk about this week's news and speak to you both soon.
So now we're going over to Katie Bleakman, an online fitness coach and personal trainer specialising in equestrian athletes. Katie has evented to a high level, winning team silver at the Eventing Pony Europeans, and now riders all over the world can benefit from her online coaching programme, Event Rider Fitness. Over to you, Katie. So on today's episode, we're going to be talking about getting back on track after the festive period with your exercise. I hope you all had a lovely Christmas break and you enjoyed the start to the new year, but often it's a really tricky time of year to get yourself back into a routine after Christmas. For most of us, we've probably been out of training for a week or maybe a couple of weeks, or maybe we've done a bit here and there, but we've not really been in a consistent routine. And after probably eating a lot of mince pies, drinking all the Baileys and whiskey, you probably aren't really feeling motivated or ready to get back to things yet. One of the biggest mistakes that I see at this time of the year is the whole new year, new me concept. And you have good intention, goodwill, but what happens is we see a huge amount of overcompensation at this time of the year. And what I mean by that is you're ready to get back in the gym. You think, oh, I need to get myself back. I've overconsumed over Christmas. And you go too hard, too fast, do too much. And pretty fast, you end up hitting burnout. You'll find that you're physically quite sore. And you're probably not actually getting yourself back exercising and training for the right reasons. You really need to think about this time of the year. Where is your drive coming from? And what is the reason that you're getting back into your training is it coming from the right place because you want to get ready for the eventing season coming up or you want to get your fitness back to be ready to go to a stay away clinic at the end of february or are you just training because you're thinking oh lord i need to burn all the calories i consumed over christmas so it's really important to be clear on your reasons why and your drive to get you in there in the first place and the best way to think about getting back into your training or exercise routine is thinking about the approach that you take with your horse after he's had a break or a holiday you wouldn't go and jump on him if he's had two weeks off and go and take him up the gallops every day or take him for a two-hour hack and expect him to stay sound and comfortable would you within the first week so the same applies for you and the best way to get yourself back into a routine is by avoiding these making these mistakes and when we make things like new year's resolutions that's all well and good but we want to think about really like what we want to focus towards the end of the year and want to think about habit changes and focusing on habit changes that are going to be sustainable um, and not just focusing on small things that you know you're just training to kind of undo as such any overconsumption that's been done over Christmas. So when it comes to training, like I said, you really want to identify your reason why you are training. So that might be a personal reason. Maybe you are looking to get yourself a little bit fitter so that you can stay up when you're leading your uh, little one on a lead rein. You want to have the fitness to run along the road with her. Maybe it's because you've got a big goal and you're aiming for an advance during the 22 event season, or maybe it's for another reason, but it's really important to be clear on what you want to achieve. When we talk about training, we're talking about adaptation to a stimulus and there is a minimal maximal recoverable volume that your body uh, will adapt to during your training. And what that means is it's basically a minimum maximum level where we can basically do too little or we can do too much. But the most important thing is that you allow your body time to adapt. Soreness isn't always the best sign of progress. Um, You will find that sometimes you get a little bit of soreness known as DOMS, delayed onset muscle soreness. And that's not always a bad thing, but being constant sore isn't something that we'd be striving for and it's not always a good marker of progress it's a marker that maybe your recovery is not so great and you probably overdid it in your training session rather than actually oh yeah I can feel I worked and you have to remember that at the end of the day when we are training and exercising we are applying a stress to the body um, your body doesn't separate physical stress from a hard gym se- 
depression to mental stress if I don't know your horse uh, ends up getting a cut in the field and you're upset about it your body just treats stress as stress so it's really important that you allow yourself to have recovery and it's actually in that recovery time that you get an adaptation so going back to the you know new year new me getting in the gym four or five times a week that might actually slow down your progress more than anything so you need to really think about that and make sure you're giving your body time to adapt and if you have a bit of a slip or a blip during January and you miss a training session or you go out the night before maybe I don't know you're a bit hungover the next day and you think nah I'm not going to do my run I'm not going to go to the gym today that's not the end of the world consistency is absolutely key and rather than focusing on what you're doing for say the next month or the really big rocks focus on doing the little things every day whether that is going to the gym for 20 minutes whether that is going for a half an hour walk whether that's doing a little bit of yoga and really keep yourself in a consistent routine and like I said don't worry if you do have a slip or trip along the journey you're going to make far more progress when you actually have little bumps in the road and how you move on from those and move back forwards towards your goal is really really important and if you're working towards any fitness goal your actions need to align with the behaviors that you need to take to get you to that goal so if you're saying you want to increase your strength then you need to make sure that you are doing the things that a person that would increase their strength needs to be doing i.e being in the gym say three four times a week lifting heavy weights but obviously again you need to think about how realistic your training approach is going to be for your schedule because that's another mistake I see and it's again good intentions fueled by goodwill but you go in you say yep I'm going to train six days a week and you know if you're busy if you're trying to work especially at this time of the year when we've got a lack of daylight, you're trying to fit in riding the horses, maybe looking after the children, maybe still having a social life. It's really, really important that you are realistic with the time that you have. And at the end of the day, you'd be far better saying, right, okay, I'm gonna stick to three training sessions a week. I can get to the gym for 40 minutes, three times a week, or I can train for home for that time, rather than trying to cram, say five sessions in a week. And what will happen is that it'll be too much. You won't stick to it. You'll start regressing your sessions, seeing it as a bit of a chore. And again, then you will if you like fall off the wagon as such so aim for you know three to four functional sessions if you want to add in some cardio or some aerobic work then maybe make use of you know lunch breaks things like that get it out in daylight hours you could always do some body weight home-based amrap sessions so you could put say five exercises together like a push-up a squat uh, some skater lunges a plank movement and maybe uh, another upper body movement and you could just do 20 minutes on the clock run through as many rounds as you can get your heart rate up and get that aerobic conditioning in that way so there's options to do it and remember there's not a right or wrong way it's making sure that what you're doing is specific enough to your sport so you know think about polo you're uh, going stopping and starting you're spinning around it's very intense very start stop whereas dressage it's a low continuous steady state so something like going for light swims cycles that would be more applicable to improve your fitness for your uh, dressage seat and your dressage phase so just make sure that you're thinking about keeping it specific and not changing it up too much as well your body needs to see the same stressor and the same stimulus to adapt and make progress that is where the process of getting stronger and fitter comes from so if you're constantly changing up your routine you're not going to find that you get the results you want and what you can think about as well is now we're in the start of the new year split the year into quarters so think okay what do I want to focus on for the first three months of this year and then like I said you can focus on taking habits 
every day that lead you closer to that goal. And it's going to help you to have a real clear reason as to why you are training. And especially at this time of the year, I think it's important to remember that exercising is going to mentally make you feel really good as well. The body releases endorphins when we train, which trigger positive feelings. So, you know, whilst we're dealing with all the rain, the mud, this time of the year, it's only going to help to keep yourself moving. So like I said, bear in mind the realisticness of your training schedule from a time perspective, but also soreness. Allow your body the chance to recover, add in plenty of massage, foam rolling, eat really well, the same approach as if you were returning from an injury or you're just starting retraining. You know, make sure that you're eating well and you're fueling yourself for performance, but make sure that what you are doing is right for you. And just because, you know, your neighbor does X, it doesn't mean that's the right thing for you. So I hope that's been a helpful episode for you guys and it helps you to get you back on track after Christmas with your training and exercise. For any more information on any of the topics that I've discussed today or any other fitness inquiries, you can find me on Facebook. If you search Event Rider Fitness, add yourself to the private group and you can join our community of riders all working to better themselves. Thank you, Katie. Next week, Katie will be back to talk about getting your nutrition back on track, ready for your competitive season. Our interview is a really special one. We're talking to the Olympic dressage champion, Jessica Von Brede-Verndel, and I can't wait to hear what she has to say. If you're enjoying the podcast, make sure you hit subscribe or follow in your podcast app so you don't miss an episode. Talk to you next week. The Horse and Hound podcast is a Media Cage production.